if you could take these cardiac progenitors from donor heart tissues that we would get from hospitals or things like that, and we would isolate these progenitor cells. And the initial clinical trials were putting the cells into adult patients now that had, say, a heart attack. And what they noticed is that the tissue repaired itself much quicker. The scarring left over from the heart attack was much less. Welcome to the Regenerative Warrior Podcast, Doctor's Edition. One of the fastest growing regenerative medicine and anti-aging podcasts in the world. Each and every Tuesday and Thursday, I talk to the top experts to show doctors how to market, manage, and magnify their practice to help more people and make more money. Each episode is short and to the point without wasting your time with pointless conversation. Learn the skills to be successful without traveling to seminars or paying for expensive consulting fees. Are you ready? Because I am. I'm Dr. Ross Carter, and it's time to start the Regenerative Warrior Podcast now. Before we begin, you may have noticed that exosomes have started to become, say, the future of regenerative medicine. But before some uneducated or even unethical sales rep tells you that their product is the best, you should do your own research. I've done mine, and if you want to add exosomes to your practice, Text the letter X to 561-962-1231. Again, 561-962-1231. On with the show. Welcome to the Regenerative Warrior Podcast. My name is Dr. Ross Carter. Today's special guest is Dr. Travis Antis. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you today about your work in the field of exosomes. So those people who are not familiar with really what exosomes are, a lot of people may have heard about them, but they're not exactly sure what exactly is an exosome. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, sure. So exosomes are a class of vesicle that are produced and shed by cells. There are a couple of different forms of vesicles that a cell can produce. Some are shed directly from the outside membrane, called plasma membrane. Those are called ectosomes, or just shed during cell death. Those are called apoptosomes. And then what makes exosomes interesting is that they are packaged and built inside the cell first, in the endosome, and then they are collected into this endocytic vesicle. And then there are some signals that the cell receives that then this kind of large, it's like a little cargo ship, then is transported to the membrane and then it releases these exosomes that it's built into this little shipyard inside. So exosomes are endosome derived and they're manufactured inside the cell. That's kind of how I look at it. Okay. So an exosome is an endosome, but when it's inside the cell and when it leaves the cell, it becomes an exosome. Is that accurate? You got it. Yes. Okay. Endo inside, exo outside. Beautiful. Now, what does an exosome or an endosome, whatever it is, contain? What is in one of these things? So, and that's what got me excited about studying exosomes. So my professional and graduate training is in RNA processing and so once I read this really interesting paper, kind of groundbreaking, in 2007, 
showing that these small vesicles, exosomes, actually transport RNAs from one cell to the other. And in particular, this class of regulatory RNAs called microRNAs, and these are about 20 bases in length. And these microRNAs, once they are packaged into an exosome and then transported to another cell, the cell then takes up the cargo from this exosome. And to follow the example of microRNAs, these microRNAs are then released into this recipient cell. And microRNAs are extremely intriguing because they influence the expression of networks of genes. And so even with the delivery of just one microRNA, you can affect, say, like a dozen different gene expression profiles. And so you can see that exosomes can deliver a really powerful signaling mechanism via these short RNAs. So exosomes also have other proteins that they can transport from cell to cell. So these microRNAs, other what are called long non-coding RNAs, and other types of RNAs. And, you know, and we're just beginning to understand the RNA-mediated and protein-mediated signaling that cells use exosomes to uh, send out these messengers. So when you say that a microRNA goes into a cell mm -hmm. and it has an effect on the genes, what does that actually mean? What are you saying right. there? What happens to the cell, and what do you mean when you say it affects the genes? So how microRNAs work is they bind to the tail ends of what are called messenger RNAs. So if you know how uh, gene expression works, so DNA is our library or our catalog of books, right? And okay. then a single page out of a single book from this library is then photocopied. And that becomes what's called a messenger RNA. And this messenger RNA then details the instructions to translate it to a protein. And then these proteins can go on to do all kinds of things, right? They can be receptors or other transcription factors or housekeeping, maintenance or metabolic enzymes, all kinds of things. So how this works is that in these photocopies from these pages, these messenger RNAs, they all have in their tail a region called a three prime untranslated region. So this is the part that the cell, the instructions that the cell does not use to make the protein. But in that little area at the end of the mRNA are instructions or I guess uh, areas where a microRNA will bind. So it'll be anti-sense to an area. And then when it does bind, it tells the cell, hey, you know, let's not make any more protein from this particular page. So one microRNA can have binding sites in, let's say, 10 different mRNAs. And then what it does is it binds to all those, and then it turns down the protein production from those mRNAs or pages. So you see you can affect, almost in a global way, a network of signaling proteins from a single small molecule. How does that affect the cell? Right. So let's say an example, these mRNAs in question could be translated and make what are called transcription factors. And these transcription factors then could go back to the nucleus 
and then decide which other books to read. And then when they do that, if they pick out the books to become, say, a muscle cell, then the cell starts changing its identity and it differentiates into something different so that it has a different function. So once you regulate the regulators, that leads you down the road towards cell differentiation. So you can either become all kinds of different tissues or have different functions. You can become an immune cell or you can become a skin cell. And then all of that is tightly networked and regulated. So exosomes deliver these little signals, maybe through a microRNA, and can influence how a cell behaves after that. Wow. So it's basically, it's changing the behavior of a cell that's doing something and it's getting a new program to do something different. Is that basically what's happening? That's exactly right. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt the show. If you want to add exosomes to your practice and would like some guidance, text the letter X to 561-962-1231. Again, that's 561-962-1231. On with the show. And with gene expression, can it express the genes of a younger cell? Let's say if it's a person that's older, could it stimulate the genes that cause it to become act more like a younger cell? Yeah. In fact, those are the types of exosomes that I was working on with a company called Capricor. They have a way of producing these progenitor muscle cells out of cardiac tissue. And once you isolate and expand these progenitor or young type muscle cells, they will then produce these exosomes right into the culture media. And you can just remove the media and isolate these exosomes. And we were characterizing the cargo of these exosomes. And they had an interesting set of RNAs and microRNAs and proteins. And the reason why we're interested in these exosomes is because if you just add these exosomes to damaged either muscle or cardiomyocytes, it transforms them into a state where they go into proliferation and then they repair themselves and they grow faster. That's amazing. So you're telling me that you were taking exosomes, cardiac exosomes, basically cardiac tissue or muscle tissue exosomes, and those were stimulating cells that were either dying or they considered senescent. Is that correct? Yeah, if they're senescent, right. Yeah, so cardiac cells and brain cells have something in common in that once you develop as an organism, these types of cells typically do not regenerate very well. So in the case of, say, cardiac cells, if you have a myocardial infarction, a heart attack, and you damage part of your heart tissue, it really has no intrinsic way or instructions to rebuild at that point. And so what Capricor first kind of stumbled upon was that if you could take these cardiac progenitors from donor heart tissues that we would get from hospitals or things like that, and we would isolate these progenitor cells. And the initial clinical trials were putting the cells into adult patients now that had, say, a heart attack. And what they noticed is that the tissue repaired itself much quicker, the scarring 
left over from the heart attack was much less. And that was the uh, initial application of these cells. And recently, these cells have been used and they've been infused into young men with uh, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And the HOPE trial that was just the data, preliminary data was, was just released, is that these young men are gaining back the strength and ability, say, to lift their arms, do feed themselves and things like that. So it has this amazing regenerative capability. So that's the cells. Well, along the way, we also found that the cells don't really like engraft or do anything once you put them into, you know, the patient. And in fact, what we found is that you don't even need the cells. You just need what they produce, and that's the exosomes. So the exosomes from kind of these magic cells, they make these magic exosomes, and then those are the things that you can add in to repair heart tissue after myocardial infarction, and now Capricorn is exploring whether you can just use the exosomes and then help folks with Duchenne's regain some of their muscular strength. That's unbelievable. Now, they did this, you're talking about with heart disease, are these actually done on people or were they done on like mice and things like that? So everything is done preclinical on mice. There's a study coming out soon that I'm going to be a co-author on where we actually showed halt and reverse of aging in rats. So all of this preclinical work has built up to some clinical trials where they have been used in humans. And for myocardial infarction, the patients, their heart tissue repairs quicker and the scarring is less. And then, like I said, in this HOPE2 trial, these are young men with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, and they are seeing benefit when they add the cells. Now, I will state that most likely it's the exosomes as what we saw with the heart repair. It would seem that the future of people that have heart attacks is to immediately get some kind of... Uh, how did you get the exosomes to the spot? Did you inject them directly into it, or could it have been by through an IV and they target so for the heart treatments, yes, it is directly injected into the heart itself. So sometimes directly into the tissue or it's infused using like a carrier gel, but it needs to go directly to that spot. And the reason why is because if you just put it in the circulation, these exosomes get diluted really quick, quickly, and they end up in the liver and kidneys, right? Which is great if you're trying to treat those organs, but if you're trying to treat the heart, it just doesn't go there. But I think what's interesting is with the Duchenne's clinical trials in humans is that they do a infusion. And so it does circulate throughout their body and that shows benefit throughout their musculature. Okay. So if it's a systemic muscular issue, then it works really well as an IV. But if you're talking about a heart, for some reason, which is, I guess, unknown, it has to really go into that heart tissue because it becomes diluted. Is that accurate? Right, yeah. So it could be that you just need a certain concentration right, maybe of, just these, more. of these vesicles <laughs> because, directly at the site of injury, you know? Right, that makes sense. Yeah, obviously, if you have a lot more at the injury site, it would probably be better than just diffuse, but... I mean, could you imagine if, you know, this would be a standard protocol at a hospital that anybody that's had a heart attack would just get an IV of exosomes immediately to help prevent or reduce the amount of scarring that actually occurs and 
maybe that might prevent the second heart attack? Yeah, I think so. You know, if you're looking into the future, that could be something that, say, an ambulance could carry around. And we were also looking at different formulations of exosomes. You know, you can actually dry these down, and it becomes like a powder. And then you add, like, some sterile saline or something that you can rehydrate them and then put them into either studies or patients. We've done a limited amount of that. Yes, and they still work. So they're pretty hardy that way. We were exploring, and I think we had with with Capricorn, some grants to study that formulation stuff. And the idea is that, you know, maybe even for military applications, right, wound healing, things like that, you could have that on the battlefield. For like just you're talking about somebody who gets injured or shot or cut? Right, exactly. That was kind of the conceptual basis for looking at how we could formulate these so you could bring it with you, essentially. So say you're a medic in the Army, you could have some of those available to help stimulate the tissue repair if someone's injured. Is it really difficult to procure these kind of exosomes? To purify them? No, not really. To make them. Is it a difficult process? No, it is scalable, but you have to have the right kind of cell. So when we were looking at these they're called CDCs, and these are these cardiac progenitor cells that are magic, that make these magic exosomes. We did find that in some donor hearts where we isolated these CDC cells, they weren't as magic. And so they didn't produce these exosomes that had this therapeutic effect. And, you know, that was really important for us when we studied them, right, is to have that negative control. So it's not just right. any exosome. It really has to come from a cell that has some sort of regenerative program already running in-house, and then it produces the factors that will go into these magic exosomes. And so, What about um, mesenchymal stem cells, for example? Yes, great. That was a great segue. I was just going to say, so mesenchymal stem cells, so MSCs, also produce exosomes that have signaling benefit for tissue regeneration. They don't work as well for heart repair or muscle repair as these CDCs do. But I haven't looked recently, but I think MSC exosomes are being explored for skin repair, kidney repair, and I think even lung repair. So they're better for kind of epithelial layer tissue repair applications. And, you know, people have looked at stem cell exosomes and other induced pluripotent stem cell exosomes. Those have a little bit of the magic, but not quite as potent or powerful as CDC or MSC exosomes. Sorry to interrupt the show. If you want to add exosomes to your practice and would like some guidance, text the letter X to 561-962- one two three one. Again, that's five six one nine six two one two three one. On with the show. I mean, for me, the thought is that the future of exosomes is customization of different types of cell lineages, so that you could really go after specific conditions. Is that pretty much what you would agree with? Yeah. So my vision was with this is so I'm a bioengineer, and so we were identifying which RNAs and which proteins contributed to the magic that are in these vesicles. And there are technologies where you can modify the producer or host cell and force it to package these things. 
into their exosomes that they produce. So you can make even more potent exosomes from an engineered cell. And depending upon the tissue type or disease indication that you want to treat, you could probably program that to make exosomes with those particular flavors of things. Wow. That would be awesome. I mean, that's an amazing discovery, really, about what we can utilize these in terms of regenerative medicine or just regenerating our body, but keeping us healthy and strong. And you also mentioned anti-aging. Can you tell us a yes. little bit about that? Because that was exciting. Yeah, well. right. So it's very interesting. So when I there was a postdoc in the lab that I was also doing my work in, and she was interested in this interesting effect where they would give these rats, induce a heart attack, essentially. So you just restrict one of the vessels for a little bit and you cause some damage, right? And she would infuse these CDC exosomes just directly into the bloodstream. So when you first do that surgery to put in that little clamp, you shave this area on the rodent, right? So that you can do the surgery, you sew them back up, and then you wait, make sure that they that you induced the heart attack to model it, and then you induce these exosomes. So what she found is that the animals that were treated with these CDC exosomes and compared it to control exosomes is that in these CDC exosome-treated animal, you know, test animals, they grew their hair back faster. And they were, yeah, and so, yeah, exactly. You, you, so, so now, yeah, there's another application possibly here is uh, hair regrowth. But she noticed that. She also noticed that they were much more active. They had greater kind of tensile strength in their paws. And metabolically, they just seemed to have a lot more vigor. So those studies are complete. They've been written up and were, I think the manuscript is has been submitted, but, you know, just like last month. So I don't know where it is right now, but it should be out this year for publication. You can take a look at that. It's pretty interesting. So the funny part here is that how we think of, you know, maybe vampires had it right all along, right? (laughs) Maybe these legends and things are just weirdly true. It's a little morbid to think about, but maybe there is some secret in the, you know, youthful blood, and it's probably their exosomes. That's amazing. I don't know if you know this, but the hair treatment industry in 2016 was $3.6 billion. So (laughs) I think if we could incorporate using exosomes in just even hair restoration, that would be just amazing, (laughs) amazing thing to offer, especially somebody who doesn't have to have surgery. Exactly. Well, there's one guy in particular who runs a little cosmetic company, and I think it's down in Southern California here somewhere. And his secret ingredient are media. He calls them media components from cultured MSCs, right? He asked me to consult with him on defining what these factors are and things like that. And I did just a little bit of work with him. He you know, wanted to keep things top secret. And where we ended up in our discussions is that these are probably the exosomes from these MSCs and culture. Now, he puts these into face creams, you know, as a beauty product. And it reduces wrinkles and tightens up skin, just like in a regenerative capacity that you would think. Kind of like a woman who's gotten pregnant has that glow, right? You got it. Yeah, yeah. So there is that essence, right? It's funny you say that because I have two kids. When my wife was pregnant for either of them, you just notice this radiance in their hair. 
and right. in their skin. Even through all the sad faces of the not being able to sleep, you know, while pregnant right. and the tiredness, they got this youthful glow to them. And because there's something really magical going on, and it's probably because they've got the signaling program going on not only in the uh, developing baby, but also in the mother. Right, because the exosomes aren't restricted to an area since they're so small. They don't have the barriers that, say, a cell would have. Is that correct? That is right. So biodistribution studies of exosomes tells us that they are freely to circulate and can bathe in any tissue throughout the body. And recently, people have been showing that some exosomes can cross the blood-brain barrier. And that's a big deal because you could deliver potentially drugs or anti-cancer agents in these exosomes and have them, you know, and just inject it in your vein and have it cross the blood-brain barrier. Then to treat something in your brain, that's not normally accessible. It's a great transport for medications that need to bridge that gap, I guess. But don't the exosomes themselves, even without a drug, can't they help with stimulation of nerve cells as well? That's been poorly studied. I don't think we know enough yet to really say that. But I think as of last year and into this year, a big thrust of some of these exosome development companies are using the vesicles as a delivery vehicle, whether Uh it be for an antisense RNA or microRNA for cancer therapeutics. And that's kind of been the initial charge, I guess, in programming exosomes that don't have that intrinsic magic, but they're taking advantage of their bus path, I guess. Yeah, transportability. (laughs) Yeah. I like like that. (laughs) So this all sounds, you know, wondrous, right? That And the cure is there. But I think one caveat or issue to keep in mind is that, you know, cancer uses exosomes. And that, so tumors oftentimes will produce exosomes that have these carcinogenic RNAs or cargo. And when these circulate throughout the body, it signals this angiogenesis signaling. And so angiogenesis means, okay, let's bring some arteries there and we're going to move our tumor to a new neighborhood and we're going to make sure we got plenty of blood supply. So the counterbalance here is that you have to be very careful with the exosomes that you do want to use in a therapeutic mm-hmm. setting because they are so potent. They can signal ectopic growth or unusual growth, right? Because cancer certainly uses that. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't that one of the ways they now diagnose cancer is through a blood test to look for exosomes for that type of cancer. Isn't that correct? Yeah, so there are some diagnostic applications, as you might think, yeah. Well, the potential here is just unbelievable. I mean, it just amazes me that so few people I know have any concept of the potential power of these exosomes. I know they're, obviously it's a double-edged sword where there could be some, there are some negatives that could stimulate a problem with growth, but I guess there needs to be a lot more study in these areas so we can really find what works, you know, how it helps and dosages and things like that. Would you agree? Yeah. I think maybe in dire cases or like, for instance, in this Duchesne's clinical setting, you can use them in clinics where it has kind of an unknown safety profile, right? Because there really isn't much else that you can do to help out 
especially these young folks that have Duchenne's muscular mm-hmm. dystrophy. But I think for kind of more routine things or maybe even cosmetic applications, I think the safety profile of these magic exosomes definitely needs to be, you know, studied in more in depth because of this possibility, you know, I don't want to scare anybody off of exomes, but there is that possibility of causing some sort of a unwanted growth or tumor. But also in the opposite of that is it may be able to take a tumor cell and maybe revert it back to its normal function. Right. Or just kill it. So there was a project that I worked with a professor at Stanford, and we made use of engineering exosomes that would package or include a particular mRNA. We're back to that again, a transcript. And these were just uh, vanilla exosomes, right? But we would put in this mRNA, and then we would also put on the outside of these exosomes an anti-HER2 molecule. These exosomes would be attracted to HER2-positive, say, breast cancer cells. And once they're attracted to these cells, then they're taken up and they then deliver this mRNA. So this messenger RNA encoded a protein that would make an enzyme. And what this enzyme does is if you then treat the cells with a inert drug, the cells that have this new protein that you've delivered, it converts this inert drug into something toxic. So if we back out and look at what the strategy looks like, is you can have these programmed exosomes that tell it to go to these tumor tissues that are HER2 positive and deliver this mRNA that makes this enzyme. And nothing happens to the cell unless you add this, what's called a prodrug. And if these cells get this prodrug and they have this new enzyme that you've delivered to it, then it causes cell death. Amazing. Was that a a lot? (laughs) No, no, I love it. So basically it's a way to use these to help to kill a cancer cell. In a targeted way, right? Yeah. So it's not just radiation or chemotherapy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like a CAR T-cell so what I do now is we engineer T-cells to then tell them where to go and what to kill. So essentially you're giving new instructions to an immune cell to say, hey, look, you know, get out of my neighborhood. And that's what CAR T-cell therapy does. But we were doing this also with EBs and targeting unwanted tissue types and delivering this prodrug. And then only when you add the drug, you do selectively kill the cells that you're targeting. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Please subscribe to be notified of all new episodes and also like and share this to help us grow. To find out more about this speaker, become a speaker on our show to have Dr. Carter present at your event or podcast. Learn more about coaching, consulting, tissue allographs, exosomes, supplements, legal help, or how to create a million-dollar business card to dominate your local area. We're here to help you. Just text your name and your question to 561-962-1231. Write that down. That's 561-962-1231. Or you can go to our website at drrosscarter.com. That's D-R-R-O-S-S-C-A-R-T-E-R.com to learn more. Until next time, this is Dr. Ross Carter signing off. Signing off.